0: You know, that that opening lyric set there might have a little more meaning today than it has in the past when it talks about drain the rich. The rich got drained yesterday. and They're freaking out. Roger Sales with you. We're going to talk about it a little bit here on the Radio Ranch Show. On the Friday edition, People's Patriot Network, Mr. Brent Winters is along. A couple other good guys, too. Date stamp 12921. Hike. Uh, interesting day. I'll give you a little disclaimer. I haven't slept in 24 hours, well, a little more 26. So, um, if I get a little bumpy today, bear with me, probably not as sharp as usual. Um, a lot going on, a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. Welcome Brent. Well, but excuse me. Welcome Brent's. I'm going to plural that because we've got two of them on. Oh,
1: morning roger good morning to all you faithful men that chime in with us on friday mornings yeah i'm anxious to get the news roger the world's blowing up and i'm kind of by myself i I, because of what i've chosen to put my time into i could suppose spend my time looking but i have friends that look and keep up on what's going on like you fellas and you keep me informed and that's what's enjoyable about friday is for me it forces me to stop and pay attention a little bit
0: good well we got a lot to talk about today and i when i send you stuff and i know i'll ask you sometimes when we're on you say well i haven't seen it you know it's only the cherry picking stuff that i send you usually that i think you'll benefit from And it's important to know but there's an awful lot you had you had very rarely i think in the gosh brent's it been six years or something now Something like that, yeah, Been been a long time. These shows, hadn't missed very many in that whole time either, except for my accident and your court dealings.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, sometimes.
0: uh, You had a request, and that's pretty unusual for you, and Uh uh, I was, uh, let's see if we can get it out of the way. Brent, Brent, what was your request? I'll let you ask it.
1: Well, just um, the fellows that are on this morning, we got a gal that comes on once in a while, a couple of them, but if you're Willing, just tell us where you're calling from, uh, what state, uh, and your name, if you're willing. Of course, your name is up here. Some of you. Some of you just have a handle, probably. I can't remember. But, yeah, I'm curious for how far we're reaching here.
0: Well, That's we'll start way. with Jeff. Yeah. He's up at the top left on my screen. We can work our way across the top left to right. Uh-huh.
2: This is Jeff. I'm in Plano, Texas.
1: Oh, Plano. North of Dallas, isn't it? Is that where that is?
0: Yeah, right next to McKinney. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, oh, McKinney, yeah. And then uh, but Plano is growing fast, isn't it? Uh,
0: apparently.
1: Yep. Well, I mean, it's getting crowded, is it or not? Uh, there's a whole lot of critters around here on two legs. <laughs> well, I I'd, I I'd, I'd drove athlete. through that. It, yeah, yeah, it gets that way when people get piled up like rats. Well, anyway, pleasure to meet you. You said Jeff, didn't you?
0: Yes, sir. Spelled with a G.
1: G. Oh, okay. Well, pleasure to meet you. I, I know where you are. I know where you are. I've been through McKinney a number of times. I try not to go down in Dallas. Last time I was there, uh, my, uh, you know, I was trying to get around figure out where I was. I had my telephone and had it punched in where I wanted to go, and things were so confusing and new and crowded down in Dallas, Fort Worth area, Dallas especially, that uh, the. The what do you call the gps doesn't work anymore really (laughs) no you can't i couldn't get it to work and i would had other people down there tell me the same thing just useless because there's so many freeways crisscrossing and overpasses and i I suppose they just can't keep up with and they're building constantly and somebody told me there's a company from spain or someplace that has the contract to build all these freeways in texas Mm. people are mad about that
0: Brent, there's a, uh, when I, last time I was in Atlanta in, in the States, I was, was, stayed with a really good friend of mine up there and he was telling me, and maybe I don't remember it, but some of you guys probably know who, uh, what I'm talking about. There's an app on your phone that's named like Throughway or something. I do, I do not know the name. Okay. But it punches in, you punch in where you want to go and it gauges where all the traffic is and gives you an alternate route. Okay. Well, that's
1: what you mean, in Dallas and Arlington, well, you know, between.
0: They had to go. He was telling me they left Atlanta and they had some kind of a family reunion for his wife over in South Carolina. And one party used that app and they got there an hour and a half ahead of the other car. <laughs> okay. Wow. What's the name of it? I do not know. Maybe I was hoping to throw it out there. Maybe some of you guys know. I can probably contact him and find out. You know, le- after the fact. But maybe somebody knows what it is. Anybody know that? I no, think let's it's
1: hear the next introduction.
0: Pardon me. Ways.
3: Uh, Ways. I believe this I believe there was an app called Ways. That's kind of kind of
0: like that. That may be it, Alan. Okay, so Waze you might see it if it's in your yeah, app W-A-Y-S, store there. Yeah. W A Y S. Uh, next is uh, your uh, fellow namesake. Is an uh-huh. old friend of mine from Atlanta in the old days in our Citizens for Constitutional Georgia group, and he's now out in now. Vegas. I'll tell uh-huh. I'll tell on you. He's out west. I'll let him tell you. Oh, okay. And is uh, just one hell of a guy, and his name's Brent Bachman. Hey, Brent. Talk to, talk to Brent.
2: Morning. Morning, Brent. Yeah, you're a retired Marine. Is that right? Not retired. I just did six and a half.
1: Oh, well, I, I just heard it half right then. Well, six and a half is enough to get acclimated to it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was full of it. <laughs> uh-huh. So you're you're from Atlanta, though.
2: Or you were? Uh, No, originally from L.A. Got out of the Corps and went over to Massachusetts for three years, then down to Atlanta for about 16, and uh, then cross-country truck driving for about 20.
1: Oh, back and forth east to west coast?
2: Uh more or less, coast-to-coast, border-to-border. Uh-huh. I delivered trucks all over and into oh. Canada.
1: Oh, now you're from uh, Los Angeles. Of course, that takes in a lot of area. What? Where did you grow up, exactly? If, uh, more precisely, yeah. About six
2: blocks from Florence and Normandy. Oh, yeah, well, that's... Yeah. Where the Rodney King riots uh, blew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was mainly from when I was five to about thirteen, and then we moved several miles
1: away from there. That's not uh, that near South Central, well, L.A. Uh, yeah, it was right in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, I know where that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fascinating part of the world. Well, thanks. Appreciate yeah. you chiming in.
0: Well, uh, Who's next, next, Roger. Hey, uh, Brent, next is one of our newer guys. I won't say where he's from, but I'll let Joe tell you.
1: Uh-huh. From
0: Center, Joe. Joe. Hello, Joe. Roger. Sorry,
4: Rock. It's away from my phone.
0: That's okay. Oh. Uh,
4: my name's Joe, and I'm from Blackstone, Virginia.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, where's that? Is that up in the mountains or down in the Piedmont?
4: Uh, we're down in Piedmont, not too far from Tidewater, oh. uh, about south of Richmond. You're a
1: bona fide native, aren't you, of Virginia?
5: Uh, yes. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I had a, I was in a service with a guy from Bedford, which is not far from Lynchburg, I don't think. And uh, I yeah, went to see him pretty close. You know where it is. They're not far from there either. I mean, drive wise, the way the world is now, but he wanted me to go see his grandma. No, I want to go see his grandma. I saw his relatives and he, I said, you got any more? He said, yeah, I got a grandma. He said, I don't think we ought to go see her. This has been 40 years ago. I said, well, how's come? He said, well, she don't like Yankees. And I said, well, of course, when I heard that, I said, I got to see her. You know, <laughs> if she has convictions, I want to meet her. So. I talked to him and taking her taking me in to see her and he said, Well, this is uh my buddy, Brent, his name was Terry and he said uh, he's from near Terre Haute, Indiana. And she just kind of staring straight ahead. Older people do that sometimes. I think their neck and that's true, I'm as I get older my neck gets stiffer, but she just stared straight ahead and she said she said Yankees are like hemorrhoids. <laughs> she said if they come down and go back up it's okay but if they come down and stay down they're a pain in the <laughs> <laughs> well shucks uh virginia virginia is covered with yankees now i have a friend in uh uh east tennessee and he's he his family had been there since the beginning you know and, well elizabeth elizabethan elizabethan i think they call it i have my my uh, sister in laws from there too He's moving. He said there are too many Yankees, and not only that, he said worse than that, worse than just Yankees. He said it's getting crowded, and I don't like it. He likes to hunt groundhogs. That's his big thing. Has a rifle with a scope. He's moving to the Carolinas, he said. His mother just passed away finally. He's up 70-some years old now. Well, nice to meet you. I appreciate you letting us know, and uh, Roger, who else you got?
0: There? Well, we got another new blood here and, uh, I'll let Alan give you some of his background. We're real tickled to have him. Alan's well, Alan's Alan. Uh-huh. Alan. A-L-A, hey. <laughs> hey, Roger, can you hear me now? Yeah, bed loud and clear.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Brent, this is, uh, my name's Alan. I'm, uh, about 35 miles Northwest of Atlanta down oh. here.
2: Uh-huh. This uh.
1: I raised, born and raised on the west side of Atlanta out there, so uh-huh. I've pretty much been down here all my life. Yeah, uh, and uh, well, I can tell, of course, some of that southern accent's going away. I'm, I've met two or three people from Louisiana recently, and uh, they were young, and they have no accent at all. Really? Uh, all that, yeah, I assume, again, yeah. it's the migration. Oh, no, hold on. No, 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 no. I,
0: I, uh, I, I, I think I can add some color here. Yeah. Are they from north Louisiana or way from south Louisiana? Oh, they're Louisiana. That way down south. Huh? Really? And they had no accent? Yeah. No. huh? Yikes. It was surprising to me,
1: yeah. Uh, they're getting out of there, too. They, they tell me, the people I've met from Louisiana, say that Louisiana is just flat shut down entirely. I mean, nothing. that's what the testimony I'm getting. Uh, this whole hoax of this uh, Wuhan or Wuhan virus. Has um, destroyed the state business-wise, and that's yeah. why they left. Yeah, they yeah. were young fellows. They moved up to the Pacific Northwest.
0: Well, I can tell you, wife. whatever business they had left in gas and oil, Mr. Biden's ruined in in, in what nine days, eight days.
1: Is that right? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's bad everywhere and I yeah. the longer this goes on the more I'm seeing the destruction economically well, of what's right. happening. But
0: well we'll get into the financial yeah. stuff when we get the introductions out of uh-huh. the way. Next is one of my better students. He's been around for a long time. He's uh fearless and very aggressive, stands his ground, and he this is one dude that knows how what the meaning of the word belligerent means. Yeah. And he's on here as honey badger. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, i I I'm gonna let Brian see if he can undo his mute and tell you a little bit about himself. Okay.
4: <laughs> hey Roger, thanks hey. for that. That's kind of funny. Uh-huh. Uh huh. How's everybody doing today? All right. All right. Well, I'm in Austin, or what we would call the Great Republic of Texas.
2: Uh huh.
4: It's quickly turned to a liberal city. You know, there it used to be a nice place. You could go jog along town lake and other places ride your bike now it's littered with tents is that and, right oh it's yeah it's changed a lot it's actually pretty sad to see so the homeless so. the homeless are everywhere down there they're, they're migrating in is that it yeah that well in austin they've bust them in that you know I've, oh. uh we had moved away for a couple of years but we had moved we you know i've always kept up with austin we moved ended up moving back And it was happening when we left, when I first met Roger in, uh, what, almost nine years ago. Something like Uh that. Seven years ago, eight or nine years ago. Uh And uh, they bus him in from Houston, Dallas, whatever, because it's the capital of Texas and it's liberal. Uh A super liberal uh, city council that just bond after bond package after bond package. And Uh it used to be affordable, but... California people are literally flooding, literally flooding here, especially wow. down here on the west side of town where I live. But yeah. Anyways, I've known Roger for uh seven, eight years roughly. Uh first listened to him on uh on Joyce Riley's show. Oh yeah. And I just moved from Austin to Boise, Idaho, and had woke up really woke up, you know, to nine eleven and other things prior to that, you know, like i don't know maybe 12 years ago somewhere roughly around there Uh and knew that i just moved to idaho and i i listened to joyce riley every morning it was just like a always on in the background great lady Uh and would always get good tips you know just this that and the other and on comes roger one morning and i'm sitting there it was snowing i'll I'll never forget it Uh and uh I listened to Roger basically discuss this book and everything that he was doing. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is exactly what I've I've been. I was already starting to you know, figure it out and challenge tickets and uh, challenge my status and, you know, in traffic court and all things like that. And it's been a few years doing that, you know, and it started to learn all about the common law. And then bingo, like I said, I hear Roger. And I was right at that time that I had to get a new passport and I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to basically declare my status. And I went, went through the whole process from start to finish, learned so much along the way. Uh-huh. Uh, like I said, I've been ride consider Roger, uh, really a mentor in this regard, you know, uh-huh. without a doubt, as I, everybody else would probably agree, but just, it's good to dial in here. I, I took a little hiatus for a while, but it's fantastic to listen to just, uh, the topic of status and everybody's different experiences with it uh-huh. and add in where I can add in and learn that I'm going to chime out and listen in, but it's okay. Brian here well, from the great state oh, of the I'm chaos. Gonna, I'm going to take
0: it tail off on that yeah. and give Brian a credit where credit's due and him being who he is. Uh, he has put two really, really big pieces of the puzzle in place for us. One of them is the driver's license experience. I'll give you a thumbnail. He went in. He heard me. I I read in an Oklahoma State driver's license book somewhere in the fine print. It said you can get a driver's license as a U.S. national, but you have to prove that you're a national. and You have to prove that your parents were nationals. Okay. And so I got on the air and said that Brian heard it and he said, well, I need a new driver's license. I'm in Idaho. Hell, I'll do it. He He's fearless. Okay. And so he goes through, we, we hold the, we hold them to the fire because now we know about exhausting your administrative remedies. And we get all the way up to the top, the head of transportation for the state of Idaho. Uh And after three volleys with him and them trying Uh every sneaky butt way to get out of it, we finally got him in a corner, and he had to admit that they cannot issue a state-issued driver's license to anybody who's not a resident. Now, the other one, and possibly even bigger was going and dogging the hospital in Austin where his daughters were born and getting Uh the exact process on the birth and how they convert it to the birth certificate. We've covered
1: Oh, I remember him telling that story on there. Now it's coming back to me.
0: So those are two huge pieces. What Brian did what Brian found out is that he validated the whole thesis. Yeah. Okay. With what he found out. Uh, so thank you, Brian. Uh, we got a guy that I know you know. We're going to chime in with him anyway, and his name's Chris.
1: Oh, yeah, here's Chris. Yeah. Las Vegas Chris, we call him, right? From Oklahoma. <laughs> is, he, is he there today?
0: Well, he's, he shows he is. He's probably fumbling for his mute oh. button. No, 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 Good morning, Trying to shut the dog thanks
1: up. For coming
4: along this morning.
1: Yeah. Morning, Chris yeah Uh, and we do have a very broad cross section all we have a couple in texas and a couple in nevada and a couple here and there so uh we uh, get a pretty good cross section and it's a pretty wild world we're on yeah now this most of these people then are they on the ones that we're looking at here are they on every day or just certain days of the week when they can like chris chris are you on every day
0: when he can uh, yeah, what you much. got? Yeah, what you got yeah. here, Brent, is our regular crew. Most of these folks are, uh, you know, take whatever they're doing and think this is important enough to them and get enough yeah. out of it that they set their time aside and spend it with us.
1: Okay. Oh uh, yeah, that's great. Well, anyway, Chris, good, to, good to know you're here, and I'm hoping all well there, and they haven't apparently haven't got you in jail again.
0: Okay. This is another <laughs> one of my old old listeners yeah. who's become a good friend. He's well. I'm gonna let him tell you where he is. Ben, front and center. I know you don't talk much, but it, 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 it's your time now.
1: Hi, Roger. Good morning. Morning. Um, my name's Ben. I live in Central Texas, born and raised here. Oh yeah, yeah, Ben. Where where do you live down there?
0: Oh, little place about forty miles northeast of Austin.
1: What's the name of it? Grand. Right. Hmm, what is it? granger oh okay well now geography is something that if i can get in my head it helps me remember things some people they can't even use a map it doesn't mean anything to them north south east west have no concept of it some people do and uh, i like to know where people are from because it helps me remember things and granger i've probably Mm -hmm. been there i i'm gonna look here just while we're talking just to kind of pull it up and see where it is but uh uh, now you're not. Are you in the county where Austin is? No. What's the What's the name of that county? Is that Austin County where Bernie Austin Tra- is?
2: Travis. Travis. Tra- 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 Tra-
1: yeah, I've heard it. Very famous because, as I said a while ago, it's uh, they've kind of joined the communists down there, the Chinese, and um, doing all the things that are bad for us. That's what I hear about it. And the people that run the place are left wing wackos and perverts of every description uh, this is the reputation anyway Well, anyway thanks good to meet you and uh, uh, ben yeah
0: yeah ben old yes, ben i'll tell you now This when when ben and i first started talking and it, ben you can correct me if i was wrong but this is what i remember and he said i was on the micro effect back then where, where i met you brent uh-huh. and uh he said man roger I used to listen to you, and I just thought you were the craziest deal. And one day, yeah. but I kept listening. That's the key. Yeah. And one yeah. day, bam, it just hit. And that's what happens with people. It's confusing. It's in deliberately, diabolically confusing. It takes a while, and then one day something happens, and it hits, and the light goes on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. If you can get keep people interested even though they think you're crazy that's
0: that's not bad well i guess it says something (laughs) you know uh next is one of our guys named bob bob front and center no but just before bob starts talking
1: i just noticed in here that granger is just north of round rock i had to put that on the map i've heard of round rock there and also south south of waco that'll make sense well i appreciate you telling me that then anyway bob we're bob's He's always Bailey. He's a custom hay baler or something, I think.
0: No, this is a different Bob. Oh, right? oh But I both see. of their names have two B's. Oh. Uh,
1: oh, on both ends, yeah. You spell them backwards, that kind of yep, thing. Yep, yeah, kind of.
0: Oh, okay. Bob. Uh you me, Roger? Yes, sir. How's it going? Oh I, we're running on fumes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bob. Where are you from, Bob?
4: Colorado. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm from California, kind of like Brent, down there, L.A. area. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah? How long have you been away from there? Uh, 30 years, 30. That's uh, quite a while. So you've been in Colorado all that time. You live out on, out in the west or out on the Front Range, or where are you? It's Colorado Springs, you know. Oh, yeah. That's near near, near Manitou Springs, isn't it?
4: Oh, yeah. Manitou. Uh Garden of the Gods. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Quite
1: nice. There used to be a a cowboy band that was on a ranch there called the Flying W. It was out near the Garden of the Gods. Yeah. Did you know that thing burnt down on that big fire a few years back? You mean where they used to play and have their shows and stuff? yeah no oh, I, I i didn't know. know what happened was it arson or what was it
4: no no that it was called the i think hayman fire it was like one of the biggest fires we've ever had
1: good grief Did it put the band the cowboy band out of business mm, yes for a oh. couple of years they've been rebuilding and oh. uh, i guess they've rebuilt it no i've just showed up down there before i'd be passing through and i wanted a good meal and I, I'd go by, if I was in that vicinity, I'd take a detour if I needed to, go by and pay my fee. for it. They give you steak and potato and, and baked bean supper with biscuits and molasses, and then you get to watch them play music for an hour or two or something. And uh, it was pretty, pretty nice and pretty handy. I hadn't heard that they had uh, been put out of business. But they're back in business, and they're trying to get things built back up. Yeah,
5: I, I haven't really been there. Been by it uh, many, many times, but
1: yeah, uh, Well, no. they're, they're entertaining yeah. and they, they're yeah. pretty good. They're and, pretty good uh, musicians, and they got a fiddle player and a yodeler, and and uh, the yodeler was from Texas, I remember, and he played the bass. He was the one that played the bull fiddle. But it was enjoyable. Well, good to meet you. Good to
4: meet you. Um, yeah.
0: The next gentleman you've spoken with before, Mr. Samuel, front and center. Oh, okay. Samuel.
5: Hey. Hi, guys.
1: Hey, Sam.
5: How you uh, doing? I'm originally a uh, Wisconsin son,
1: and oh, I live yeah. in
5: Placerville. These days. Old Placerville. You here?
1: Oh, well, here you the Placerville. Yeah. Uh, guy. I know that neck of the woods. That's... Uh, Eldorado County. Yep. Yeah, now, just south of uh, Nevada County.
0: The other day, Samuel, because I was probing him a little bit because I know the area. I don't know it. I've never been there, but I understand its history and its background. And Samuel's yeah. got about 20 acres right in between two rivers right there. You think yeah. there might be yeah. some goodies for him around?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let, we, they, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. The gold is up there, but... How how far now? Placerville. It's not that. It's up, up. Uh, what they call uh, forty nine, but it's not too far from Ione and uh, Sutter Mill, is it?
5: No, uh, that's south about uh, half hour.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, that's 49. where you know Sutter uh, Sutter's Mill Ione is where the supposedly uh, probably a promotional story, but where John Marshall discovered the first nugget of gold. I've always kind of thought
5: that's, that's actually very close to placerville uh uh brent that's uh that's yeah. just north of placerville uh-huh. uh on the american river and it's only about 15 10 minutes out of placerville on the north
1: yeah pretty close pretty close yeah had the found uh found a nugget in in the mill race of the mill it was one of those old it was a mill that would run off the the waterfall of the river but it was, had a big wheel on a mill race, and in the, it didn't have a circular saw. It was a saw that had a giant blade that went up and down. You kind of pushed the log through it, and it would go up and down real slow. It was slow going, but that's the way they used to saw. Well, he was in the mill race, apparently, as the story goes, and he saw something that lustered. It didn't shine. It lustered. And he reached down and picked it up and a little bit of gold. And that, of course, was used as a promotion to create a worldwide stampede. And California has been crazy ever since. All those crazy people living there from all over the world. <laughs>
2: Fascinating story.
1: Yeah, go ahead. What's that? They,
5: they have a replica of the sawmill there in the park. There's a historical park built there, and it's got all the little yeah. shops off of the blacksmiths and the, sort of like a, a recreation of the town as it was. in Yeah, the-
1: yeah. No, I've, I've been there over the years more than once because so I'd be traveling through and I'd stop and. Uh, old Colonel Sutter was a uh, was a Swiss immigrant that received a land grant of hundreds of thousands of acres from the from the Mexicans or the Spaniards or somebody. But he uh, he then he took all the Indians around there and he just enslaved them. But he didn't have to work at it because they were hungry and desperate, and he'd feed them every day in a big trough. He just like hogs. He'd pour this mush into a big trough and it'd run down this wooden trough and they'd run. He'd ring the dinner bell and all these Indians would run and start scooping that stuff up like, like animals. Of course they didn't complain. They were getting food. They'd never had before. Before that, they're about, well, they were having a pretty rough time of it. So they didn't complain, but that's really what happened. And he actually, I suppose in the long run, he gave them a little better life in many ways. But that's the reality and the brutality of life. That's the way it really is and the way it really works. Well, yeah, good to see you. You're, are you here about every day, Samuel, when you you listen to Roger pretty often? Yeah, I try to listen every day.
0: Wow, Samuel okay. was uh, one of the guys that heard me, I believe, on Joyce, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, Samuel. And and uh, he said, well, he said to himself, he told us this later. He said, well, we'll see how Roger does. And uh, seven years later, he... Connects back in and here he is.
1: Oh, well, well, now, good. Uh, of course, we've talked before, but good to talk to you again. Who, who else we got? Well, here, now but, I got
0: to bring my old buddy Harvey front and center, who, you know, and the audience yeah. does too, but we got to bring him front and center anyway. Okay. Oh, come on. I'm so shy. <laughs> 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 I'm
1: yeah. Yeah. Harvey, you've got, you've got, uh, grandchildren, don't you?
3: No, I've got—I uh, have no children, uh-huh. which means no grandchildren. Uh-huh.
1: But I've got a brother who is uh, quite prolific. And, well, I—I I thought I heard children in the background at one time.
3: Oh, yeah, that's my great nephew. Oh, okay, that's, that's Felix, and uh-huh. he is—he's uh, the sidewinder. He's—he's okay. he's my heat-seeking missile. They—they. <laughs> yeah. they They put him down, and he runs through the house till he finds me. Oh, okay. And uh, when he goes over to my brother's house, he runs through the house and finds him. We're his two favorite targets.
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. Harvey, I'm going to interrupt you. I've said this before. I've known Harvey right going on 30 years, okay? Uh And we've been good friends that whole time, kept in touch. Mm -hmm. And I can promise you this, what I'm going to tell you, because I've seen it. I've witnessed it. You can be in a room with adults and children, Mm -hmm. and Harvey will come in and sit down, and within five minutes, every kid in the room will be at his feet.
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, there's something about the heat seeking analogy that is pretty good. I used to, and the reason I say that, I used to arm Sidewinder missiles. Did you really? Uh, that, that was my job at one time. Yeah. <laughs> of course, right. you didn't want to, you didn't want to arm them until they were ready to be used. You know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then you, they had those canards on the front, you know, and those darn yeah. things. Yeah, and those darn things. Those canards only had two positions, all the way up and all the way down. There were four of them. And Is that's what, that right? Yeah, and that's what gives it that spin because it doesn't adjust as it as it flies. It seeks the heat of that of the exhaust, you know, of the of the, the enemy fighter. And as it zeroes in on it, those canards are just flipping up and down real fast. And that causes it to go back and forth and, and to have this circular motion. Of course, as it gets closer, those canards will flip faster. It, you know, it doesn't, it's not that they, they don't adjust gradually like you would, if you were flying an airplane with the air and all They yeah. just two positions. And it goes back and forth as fast as it needs to. And it takes this sidewinder. And then it of course, and if it gets within 36, if it, if it, a near miss is a kill. It doesn't have to go up the tailpipe. If it right. if it uh, is seeking the heat and it, it it's, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and it senses it's getting hotter, then all of a sudden it's getting colder, it detonates. So a near miss is a kill. Like if it goes past the exhaust pipe and all of a sudden it feels it's getting colder, not hotter, it explodes. And if it explodes within 36 feet of the enemy aircraft, it's a kill. Because it has a – this is – the, the ways that men devise to destroy one another. It has ar- around it uh, one of those kind of things where in the old movies, you know, they used to have a box and glove on the end of this thing and they would make it go out. You'd hold it in your hands, you'd go out, and hit somebody, and then they'd close it and it'd right. come back. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what's around that. It's a steel, those things made of steel. So when they, it's, it's tight against the missile and when it explodes, that thing expands and it reaches a diameter of 36 feet and then. You know, like it just breaks apart, but if it and it goes in a circle, a circle like a buzzsaw while it's doing that. So when it explodes it, within thirty-six foot of the enemy aircraft, it'll cut off whatever it is near. It'll cut off the tailpipe. It'll cut off the wing. Of course, if it goes up the tailpipe, it just explodes the rear end and cuts off the whole fuselage from front to back. Yeah, it's a fascinating weapon, and the interesting thing, among other things about it. It um, developed in the 1950s, and we still have it, and it hasn't changed hardly at all, some adjustments, but it's the same air-to-air weapon, and it's deadly. Nobody's ever come up with anything that's really improved on it very much, that I know of. Well, fascinating, yeah. you'd bring up a Sidewinder, but yeah, it's a, see- it's a heat seeker, and you got to fire yeah. it within a 15-degree envelope. If you fire it within a 15-degree envelope, uh, the, the enemy probably won't get away, but uh, you can get away from it, if you're if you're ahead of the curve a little bit, you know what's coming. But yeah, it's tough. <laughs> well, that just brings back memories of things. That kind of information, what good is it now? But yep. uh, you know, how when, ne- Brent, when, you
0: never know, buddy. You never know. When
1: were you? When were you doing this? Back around? in the back in the mid seventies. Mid 70s yeah. yeah. You're a young guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I like to think that, but people, well, I've been noticed when you see that when the police officer stops you. Or the sheriff's deputy on the road and he looks yeah. like he looks like a twelve year old kid, you know you're getting older, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and when you find out when you find out he is a twelve year
5: old
3: kid, yeah. then you know you know the Bidens have taken over. Yeah, or
1: yeah. Or the judge sitting on the bench, you know, it looks like they're like twelve years old. But uh no, that's right, Harvey. But I won't ask you how old you are, but I'll tell oh,
3: peddle- you I, I I have I'm not that doesn't bother me in the okay. least. You know, okay. I'm seven I'm seventy eight years old.
1: Oh, yeah. Well you're doing well, I hope. You must be. You act like yeah. it. Your voice is strong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
3: You know, Stay it's funny it's funny you say that. Yesterday afternoon uh-huh. an old friend of mine from high school uh and he was actually in my older brother's class, so he's just turned eighty a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And he called uh-huh. and his voice sounded so Week that uh-huh. it just broke my heart. He's yeah. been, you know, he's been, uh, he's been making a lot of money. He's been living the so-called good life, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. All these years, we haven't maintained close contact, but uh, it just breaks my heart to hear people. Uh, you can hear, you can hear almost everything you need to know about a person in the voice.
1: I'm with sp- you. Right, yeah. I spent
3: a long time. Uh, representing a nutritional supplement company, and mm-hmm. I spoke to people in all stages of health. Yeah, and I I learned to listen very very closely mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, the voice, to uh, inflections, to uh, quavering, to mm-hmm. the energy level, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. The the pattern of hesitation and yeah. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, it just broke my heart listening to him. Uh, oh, I get it. Yeah. And, and, and I've got several other friends, you know, some mm-hmm. that were in the Marine Corps with me, some that were in the, the fight for the second amendment, some that were, you know, a number mm-hmm. of other things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they go downhill and they they won't look. You know, it's kind of like Roger's uh Roger's message that has been so uh, poorly received and I sent Roger a quote yesterday. Didn't mm-hmm. did you get that, Roger?
0: I did. Yes, I did.
3: It was uh it was uh
0: I think I sent it to Brent. Mm-hmm.
3: A quote from Betty McQuinney mm-hmm. and I just Uh, McQuitty, and I Mm -hmm. thought Roger would like to see that he's not the first one, he's not the only one, and you're not either, Brent. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called Victory Over Pain, Uh Morton's, Morton's Discovery of Anesthesia. Okay. And she said, innovators are rarely received with joy, and established authorities launch into condemnation of newer truths. Yeah. For at every crossroads to the future, uh-huh. there are a thousand self-appointed guardians of the past.
1: Yeah. Boy, I can see it, too. I met a lady not long ago in uh, up in Montana. I went to church, a little tiny church up in Livingston, passing through. And uh, Livingston, not far from uh, Yellowstone, it's just north. And uh, the preacher there, I got to talk to him. And I was asked him. He said he grew up a rancher, and his dad was ran a ranch. and And he pointed out this elderly lady sitting, still sitting down. She everybody else was up talking, and she was sitting. Of course, she was elderly. He said that woman right over there. Her family is the one that introduced Angus cattle into Montana. And when they did, they said everybody said they were crazy. It was the the Herefords that had dominated the scene or get pink eye worse. And they're just not as tough. They're good beef cattle, but they're not as, the Angus are tough. Of course, yeah. the other side of it is they're wild and mean <laughs> by <laughs> comparison, but, but, um, but when they did it, everybody rejected them, said they were crazy. The Cattlemen's Association went against them just as one other lone example. Yeah. And, and but now when you drive through Montana, all you see is black Angus. That's all. That's you all, see. We, that's all yeah. you see around here. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah,
3: black Angus. I got them everywhere around me.
1: Uh huh. They're a hardy, hardy breed, but uh, and there I, I I see them everywhere too. Others, other breeds, but that's just another example. You're talking about, and it's true. And uh, I see it as I read history. I like to read history. I know you do. You know, you're talking about. Um, I know you're. I, I consider you uh, the authority that I know on uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest because you <laughs> yeah. a lot of Yeah, yeah, and so you talk about nathan you know he was the one that was innovative uh, and he said to the men on horseback he said throw those blasted sabers away we're in a new world am i right about that harvey you know he armed them with pistols and
3: well he did arm them with pistols but he himself killed a uh a large number of men with his saber
1: yeah, well, maybe I'm overstating the case, but he's he did introduce the idea of pistols to men on horseback, and he because, paid
0: for them himself and gave them to all his men, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah,
1: that,
3: that's right. But uh, you know, it's funny; that's the opposite of what Stonewall Jackson's men did. Uh-huh. They, uh, you know, they had to they had to carry all the weight themselves, and they they just tossed their pistols aside. They went to the rifles alone. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, and. You know when you consider the type of fighting they were doing mm-hmm. where they were really uh fighting the enemy at uh, at, uh significant distance mm-hmm. uh the rifle was effective, and the pistol really wasn't but yeah, forest men yeah. forest men closed the gap mm-hmm. and they closed at a gallop uh, well.
1: I see. Oh, I see your point. His idea was get on top of the enemy quick, and so pistols were effective that way. Pistols were. It's like, yeah. uh, like
0: uh, Admiral Nelson told James, uh, Thomas Cochran, don't, don't maneuver, right. go right at him." That's oh, right. Yeah. The same <laughs> well, idea. But, well, uh, I, I
1: like, um, like words, and I discovered recently that I've always wondered where the word dragoon came from. Dragoon. Oh, yeah. Well, the dragoons were the guys that carried those fire-spitting things called blunderbush. Blunderbush, yeah. <laughs> and they called them that because they were on horseback. And uh, dragoon is the French, I think the French pronunciation, one of them, of dragon, fire-breathing yep. dragon, is what I remember. Is that what you have read, too, apparently?
3: I have. Uh, yeah. And uh, the the dragoons, uh, at least at the time of the Civil War, were... Those that uh, uh, were essentially mounted infantrymen, and that's yeah. the way Forrest fought, which is the point you're making, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some similar to the the Aussies, the, they used to have their light horsemen. Yes. Yeah, the mounted infantry, they call them. Yeah, and, I did mm-hmm. Yeah, so they transported
3: quickly, but Forrest very often, very often. Got his men to the battle and dismounted them and they fought as infantrymen mm. uh rather than uh cavalry mm-hmm. and uh the the uh southern foot soldiers uh had a had a distinct disregard for cavalry they they were they were the showmen the the fancy oh, boys yeah. you know and but when forest men passed an infantry unit they were regarded as brothers because mm-hmm. everyone knew how they fought mm-hmm. they
1: got down and got dirty
3: well uh, who no, was that go ahead, go ahead no no you, you
1: okay vote. who was the fellow i'm gonna ask you a question who was the fellow that was that general lee called his eyes and his ears and he oh. was a, but he was a he, that was he liked jeb, the, that was jeb stewart yes he was the one that kind of liked the, the dash of it all. was right. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you <laughs> know right. when what? he got that
0: shot and he lost his arm, do you know what well, Robert E. Lee's, when he went to his bedside before he died, do you know what that he told Jackson. him? was Jackson. That was it? Stonewall Jackson. Okay. Well, anyway, I just remember the quote. He said, uh-huh. you've lost your left arm. I've lost my right arm. Right That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and he had. Uh, mm-hmm.
3: Jackson was a. Stubbornly, uh, I don't want to say ignorant man, but he was detached from reality in many, many ways. When he, uh, when he, le- when he lectured at uh, Virginia Military Institute, uh, if anyone interrupted him with a mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. he would go back and start his lecture all over from the beginning. Ah. You know, you ask why nobody knows why (laughs) nobody knew why, but it was, (laughs) but he
4: just, he just,
3: he he just rewound. He didn't didn't (laughs) go back and pick up where he was and he would never mail a letter to his wife or to, that was the only person he really corresponded with regularly. He would never, uh, he would never mail a letter if he uh-huh. thought it would be transported on the sabbath day uh,
1: he, uh, he was what was he he was a presbyterian wasn't he he was a presbyterian yeah. and yeah.
3: and prior to the war uh-huh. he uh, he had a uh very very active congregation of black slaves he preached to the slaves and uh-huh. uh you know, had a had a great fraternity with them. Uh, he recognized them as brothers in Christ, and the condition of their servitude uh, meant nothing to him. Mm-hmm. He he he, re, he just regarded them as brothers, and well, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he. But he was very much like Forrest and like Cochrane in his military strategies from what I've seen, he was always deceiving the enemy. That was you know mm-hmm. everybody knows that's the, the great weapon of war. Mm-hmm. And uh and he was also uh very aggressive and he said, you know, never give up the chase. Don't stop to regroup. Yeah. Never stop to yeah. regroup. However disorganized you are the enemy in retreat is more disorganized and you can, you can dispatch them and destroy them entirely under such conditions. Mm -hmm. And he also advocating advocated, uh, moving into such a position that you could fight against only one portion of the enemy and that portion smaller than your own. Mm -hmm. And you could destroy a portion of them. And
1: at the end of that, you would have the superior numbers. Uh, well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. I attended. I'm traveling now, and I on a Sunday I went to there's a Presbyterian church, and I'd heard about it, and I went to this Presbyterian church, and the fellow that got up and did the teaching, his theme was uh, that all false religions are the same, and that they're all founded upon chaos instead of order. Oh and the chaos of course he started in genesis chapter one and he said you know that god created the heavens and the earth in the yeah. beginning well that that's true of course that was that was order and then then the earth became not there is no verb of being the earth it wasn't formless and void it became formless and void and in jeremiah he uh, jeremiah says god did not create the the earth, or the, you know, the, yeah, the, the land, formless and void. He didn't create creation formless. He created it in order. So the first verse of the Bible, according to the first verse and according to what Jeremiah says, is order. So when you get to the Newer Testament, the word most often translated meaning order is the word cosmos. It's translated world. I don't know why. I guess there's a reason. Well, the verge, the, the, the man's the age of man is what world means. Ver, old. Or where, where, yeah, we're old. Well, but, and you get the New Testament, it's cosmos. And cosmos is the word that means order. And when we say something has a cosmetic effect, that means we put it in order. And you can see the order if you fix Mm -hmm. up the house, put some trim on it, trim the bushes, it has a cosmetic effect. But the opposite in the Greek tongue, you get the New Testament, the opposite in the Greek tongue from cosmos, order, is chaos. Which is disorder. Oh, now, I the word cha- the word chaos doesn't appear anywhere in the in the New Testament. But in the language, in the tongue, in Greek, it is the opposite. But he was making the point. Here's what he said at the end. He kind of drew it together. He did an excellent job. Uh, in the end of it all, of course, we're facing madness right now, is the point. Uh, the the evil right. empire, the, the Chinese have invaded in a way that is worse than an army, almost. We can see an army. We can't see what they're doing now. And then, right. of course, they've got the collaborator, collaborators here. He said we're going to defeat them we are god's people are going to defeat them because they are chaos yep. their disorder their religion is founded upon nothing but chaos yep and that's what all false and then he even and and if, he said if we maintain if we maintain order and he said we start right here as a people we have an orderly worship service and then the if you order he didn't say this but i i like to say this if you order your life according to the orders of the God of all order, you will have shalom. In the Old Testament, that's what they called shalom. Shalom is not the absence of battle. In the, in the Semitic tongue, shalom is the presence of order in the midst of battle. The one thing, and you could probably, you've got two Marines on the call, both of you could chime in on this, but when you're, you're taught when, when you're in the military service that if you're ever taken captive, that the number one thing you must maintain at all costs is the chain of command and order. Am I right yeah. about that, Harvey? Yeah, that's right. Because that's the foundation. If you, if you lose that, you lost everything, but order will always defeat disorder. Cosmos will always defeat chaos. And our greatest weapon is not our guns and our, and even in a military unit, the greatest weapon, if you're in a prison camp, you don't have those things, but your greatest weapon is order and i've talked to men that have been in military camps in world war ii they're all gone now the ones i knew but they did tell me about the order they maintained and how they didn't have weapons in their hands but they still were able to resist the enemy in a meaningful way and i say this is true also of your family you're we're facing tough times if you don't get your life in order you're going to be defeated You've got to get your life in order, and it has to be the order that God says. Yeah. And that's a, a, a that's the most important foundational subject to what we call the faith, the true religion. Yep.
0: As that, that is word.
3: that is the best message I've heard
1: in a good while. Yep. Well, <laughs> I would the impetus. That's an, that's an encouraging thing to say. I want to keep saying it right now because this is the time. And now that you've said that, I said okay. That's what I'm going to talk about Sunday when we have church. I'm going to talk about that because I said, well, I'd hit with Herb, and I imagine there's a, a 10 other people that it hit with, or maybe 100. I think that is the message now because, mm-hmm. the, well, you, you got the message. No sense talking anymore. I might drill right through the oil um, and it all drain out.
0: Well, me, yeah, I'll tell you, Harvey's story of the guy at VMI reminded me of a story. It's funny how those yeah. things happen. <laughs> Excuse me. When I was back in Baton Rouge at LSU in the 60s, and, uh, of course, a fine Southern University, a beautiful, Uh beautiful, stunning campus, and Uh in that time they had, and I never saw this guy, but I heard about him because his reputation was all over campus, okay, Uh and he taught history. And he, when he got to the second half of the Civil War, it was right at the end of the first semester. We were on semesters back then. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you were in his class, on, and, and, and that class, there, you couldn't find room to stand up in, okay? Because everybody from the campus wanted to get in and see that lecture. And he mm-hmm. would come and do the lecture in a Confederate officer's uniform. Mm -hmm. And he'd get up, and from what I was told, I never did get to see it, but I heard it. And you'll understand why in a minute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he was up there doing his lecture, and he's so into his lecture, and he paced. When I was a teacher, I used to pace, too, okay? Sure, yeah. uh, And he wasn't watching where he was going, and he stepped in the trash basket. (laughs) And his foot stuck in it, and he never stopped. He walked through the rest of the lecture with the trash thing on his foot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh True story. I don't remember his name, but he was one of the experts in the country on the Civil War. I got a gray person here, and I don't know. It doesn't have a phone area code. It just says fellow Jitsier. If you want to chime in, you're welcome to. And if you don't, that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see. Uh, 406, area code 406. Where's that, Roger? I I got no idea. I'm anxious to find out too. Yeah, we'll find out. Hey, well, this I'm is one when people call in. Sometimes that, it'll put the phone number. Area four hundred six. Yeah. You feel like talking? That
3: that's that's Gary in Montana.
0: Gary. Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh. Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I man, got you. Better than yesterday.
1: Okay. Good. I'm trying to figure out that jit cap, but I haven't got it done yet.
0: Okay, it's pretty uh-huh. simple, really. Well,
1: Gary, um, are you willing to say where you where you live up there? Well, Brett, I, I was born and raised in Marion, Indiana. What? What's the name of the town? And I moved to
0: Mar- Marion, Marion, Indiana. Oh, Marion, Marion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Go ahead. And we just recently
5: we just recently moved up to the Kalispell area of Montana.
1: Oh, what well, are you going to church up there?
4: Yeah, we go to uh, Solid Rock Church. Well,
1: you, somebody must have cut the telegraph wires because I'm <laughs> you're breaking up, and then I lose yeah. you. So,
0: uh, Gary, yeah. let, here's what you do: go into the app store for anybody else too. This is pretty simple, and go to Jitsi. It's called Jitsi Meet, M E E T, J I T S I. Download the app. When you open it, there's a search bar, and all you put in there is PPN Studio, no spaces, PPN Studio, and hit, and you'll join us digitally, and we'll probably be able to hear you a little bit better, a digital.
1: Yo, yeah, well, you're not far. This is kind of odd, Marion. Yeah. I didn't realize that you're right close to Gas City, Gas City, of all places. Know it real well. Yeah. Well, actually, Gas City someday will probably be a suburb, won't it? And you're Jones on the- Jonesboro, Gas City, huh?
2: Sounds like a fast food joint.
1: Jonesboro, Gas. And- on the Miss uh, Suniwa River, which runs into the Wabash. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, anyway, good to have you on. You, uh, but you're out west now, and you said you live up in Kalispell, and that's right up, up the Flathead, top of the Flathead Valley. As I was at, or just above Flathead yep. Lake, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful, utterly beautiful.
0: Lovely part yep. of the country, Big Sky yeah. Country.
1: Yeah. Well.
0: Good to talk to you. Yeah, Gary hadn't been around for a while. He's popping in lately. We're certainly glad to have him back. There was two gray persons uh, that uh, I addressed and you didn't speak. Uh, If you want to talk now, you're at the tail end. We'd love to hear from you, and if not, that's okay. Cats got their tongue. Brent, on to current business. There's a lot of stuff going on. You were asking me. You said you can't wait to hear what the news is. Uh Uh-huh. I guess the biggest news is what's happened yesterday, and it's very interesting, and this isn't my area of expertise, but I watched some people on it, so I know a little bit more about it and understand it. Did you hear how much the Wall Street hedge funds lost yesterday?
1: No, I didn't, and, and why? More particularly.
0: That's a I mean, good I question. Guess, but that's what, a, what, that's a good huh? question, okay? Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you what I know, and I, but some of it might not be totally correct. You know, when you get into the Babylonian casino, you can bet on two sides. You can bet that a stock's going to go up, and then you can bet that a stock's going to go down, and they call that shorting, right? Okay. And Uh what happens in that is you – I may be wrong, but I think I'm right. You borrow the short shares at a price – and then if they go down, you've got to pay the difference. But if they go up, they got to pay the difference. And what uh-huh. happened is there's so many people that have been locked up in the COVID thing that a lot of people have gotten on this app that was put out by one of these wall street guys called Robinhood. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. a little, it's a little trading app. All right. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people have guys with their, Stimulus money and whatever else have started yeah. playing Robin Hood. Okay, and yeah. what? And I think I think the Trump people are behind this somewhere. It's my personal feelings. Okay, maybe wrong, mm-hmm. but I think this may be one of the traps that he's let them step into. All right. Uh-huh. So the big hedge funds were trying to short this little company that sells games called GameStop. Not too much business, little stores and malls and around, and it wasn't doing real well. And a couple of the big hedge funds got together, and what they do is they go in and short that stock and drive the company out of business. Then they go back and buy it for pennies on the dollar, and they make tons of money. Well, mm-hmm. this group of people, I think they say, I hear it started on the app Reddit, okay, okay. which I think's a Microsoft app, but I'm not sure. But anyway, they all got together, and they started seeing that this company was being shorted by these real big hedge funds at about, oh, get this, you're going to love this, okay, $5 mm-hmm. a share. Mm-hmm. So they go in and get a bunch of those shares, and then they all get together and start buying the rest and driving the price up. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the difference in shorting and long. In longs, your stock goes up and you can make some money. It goes down and you lose some money, okay? Mm -hmm. But in shorting, if you buy that stock at $5 and then it goes up, there's no Mm -hmm. limit because as far as it goes up, they've got to continue to pay. Mm -hmm. And they started, I guess, two days ago. I've been so distracted. Normally, I'd probably be on top of that a little bit, but I've been so distracted I didn't even realize what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, the Wall Street hedge funds lost twelve billion dollars. Okay. Now it's Robin Hood. It ain't going to the rich where they can always, uh, you know, set it and manipulate it. It's reversed. It's going to the poor. All right. And so they freaked out. It's totally wiped out one of the biggest hedge funds on Wall Street. I think it's called Marvin, the Marvin Fund, or something. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and yesterday in the middle of the, when it, when it got up to a, well, they they stopped letting them buy at one hundred and eighty-seven dollars. So they broke Wall Street rules when the poor guys started getting rich and the big guys started getting fleeced. And I think the stock is up to six hundred dollars a share now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's literally wiping them out, and it's sucking other hedge funds into it. And I, one of the big ones had to go in, borrow a, 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 a couple million dollars today. Now, mm-hmm. evidently, and I saw a message last night from a guy that works at Robin Hood. He's not in the trading side. He's in the technical side. And he came mm-hmm. out and blew the whistle on Gab, and he said, I shouldn't do this. I'm probably going to lose my job. But he said mm-hmm. yesterday, right before they halted trading, they got a call from a hedge fund mm-hmm. called Citadel, and they got a a call from the White House, and that's when they cut it off. Okay. So what I wanted to bring out about that is what mm-hmm. we mentioned before that I got years ago from reading my book on the Pharisees. And the one thing that I took away from the book was the Pharisees always change the rules. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> And so there is pandemonium in Wall Street today, okay? And probably over the weekend, and it may continue into next week, whether they're going to go and find other shorts and start trying to fleece these guys, whether these guys are going to put their back up and expose their whole game that it's a one-way street, all that, don't know. Whether people are going to see that and start pulling their money out of Wall Street, we don't know, okay? But we're in a really, there, we're not we. They're in a very precarious position. So that's probably the hottest news. Second mm-hmm. hottest news is, as I said earlier, I'm running on fumes today. Some of you know why. On what? Uh, fumes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I want to thank. And I actually, got on the email this morning and wrote him a little thank you note. One of my listeners, Steve, got mm-hmm. a hold of me, and we hadn't had one of these examples in a long time. It's been I think it's been at least five years, uh, Mm -hmm. that the Secretary of State has sent us back a bluff letter. They -hmm. did it. We went about six months or eight months into it when we got started, maybe a year, and then people started uh, getting these bluff letters. Not all of them, but I think they pick out – And pick and choose and send these things back hoping the people don't know their stuff and they're seeing if they can bluff them because it's really, really trickily worded. If you don't know your stuff, you you might think that, okay? But this one wasn't. It had the same first paragraph. Every one of them I've ever seen has the same first paragraph. And this is – I can't read it to you verbatim, but I'll give you the thumbnail. It says – Uh, By what you have submitted, it appears that you're a citizen of the United States. And it quotes the 14th Amendment. And then it goes blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the paragraph, the the ending words are, except by operation of law. And so usually I've just whipped, told people to whip Vitell on them. And nobody, everybody's always gotten their passport. Okay. Never had Mm -hmm. one that didn't get it. And so. But this guy's letter, and I, I opened it. He sent it to me, and I opened it, and I looked at the first paragraph. Well, I've seen that before. And so I just kind of dropped him an answer back and said, this is kind of what you need to tell him. And this is last Friday. And as I went through the afternoon, I kept, it kept nagging at me because I didn't read the rest of the letter. Mm-hmm. And so I opened it up again, and I read down a couple of paragraphs, and I caught him in an absolute, total, blatant lie. Okay. There wasn't no misrepresentation like the first paragraph. It was a plain out, blatant, a big old lie. Okay, mm-hmm. and the paragraph was short, and it says we only issue passports to U.S. citizens. Okay, I've never seen him make that kind of a stupid statement before, and so mm-hmm. I got real inspired to write the letter for you. Oh, <laughs> and okay. I would, at that point, you know, at this point, I'm belligerent with him. Okay, mm-hmm. and and I sat down and. As I, th- I sent it to, uh, who did I send it to? I sent it to Daryl. And Daryl's comment was whoever reads that letter is going to have scorched hands. Okay? Because I was, I was not easy on them. And I started out with, Dear, excuse me, sir, why do you have to blatantly not lie and misrepresent facts in your correspondence? It's on Secretary of State letterhead. Is this State Department policy? Now, what he said was, as I said, U.S. passports are only issued to U.S. citizens. But right on the inside the passport, when you open it up on the picture page or the page before (laughs) one of them, it says passports are only issued to U.S. citizens and nationals. And so uh, I I tore into him on a bunch of stuff. And even at the bottom, I brought in the the certificate of non-citizen nationality, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. And I said, it appears that you've changed the state citizen to U.S. national, and you're hiding it behind the American Samoans. So I kind of let him have it. I don't know how much of that. Poor Steve, he's new to this, and, you know, he gets my aggression. He's going, hell, I don't know if I'm going to send that in or not. They may come grab me, you know, and I can understand that. And so, but it got me fired up, all right? And it got me thinking, and I've been meaning to try and get this in some form that's short enough and to the point enough that people can read it, and it's going to touch the right people. When I first sat down in front of John and Glenn so many years ago, and I was green as a spring twig, okay, and sat down and heard that high-power presentation on Friday night, I didn't understand nothing, hardly. I understand the 14th Amendment of the black stuff, okay, but I didn't understand any of the rest of it. Okay, and so um, I, my feeling, though, was I knew there was something, a great substance there, and that's what kept me going, okay? Yeah. And then when the IRS raided John and Glenn within six months after they started teaching, I knew we were on the right track because the federal government doesn't move that fast for anything except Joe Biden, and and this was back 30 years ago, okay? Yeah. I mean, they'd let – remember old Phil Marsh, Brent? Mm-hmm. Well, they'd let Phil Marsh go five years. They even let him on ABC News one night with Stone Phillips or somebody for an hour. Okay. And that's what they do if you don't know what you're talking about, because they want you to gather in people that are interested so they can bust them all at the same time.
1: Well, there are two things that come to mind just listening to you. Number one, the most important thing to say to a bureaucrat, because he doesn't know what he's doing, of course. Is just now. Wait a minute. On the other side of this piece of paper, it says something very different. That'd be the thing that maybe gets attention, maybe not. But at least you're being up front with simplicity. Yeah. You're not explaining the theory behind right. it, right, which you, you, you need to know. Personal
0: experience. Good, personal experience. Numerous meetings yeah. with people. Experiences personally. These yeah. IRS ad guys don't know their butt from a hole in the ground about that code. Yeah. They're yeah, taught no, to I, go out there and shake people down and get shit because, you know, yeah. they get a big commission off of it.
1: Yeah. That's all it that amounts you to. Know, the second thing. Go as ahead, as Glenn, out.
0: as Glenn said, they don't call him the commissioner for nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. Well, another thing is, um, uh, they tell me over in China, I had a son that worked there in year last, over different times, over the last 10, 15 years. And uh, he just told me about what the Chinese are like. And he said, the Chinese don't care what the government says. It's utterly meaningless to them. Um, for the most part, unless they're being prosecuted. But there are so many, 1.5 billion people. and They don't they, they figure they're lost in the crowd. And rules mean nothing to them. Law means nothing to them. They do whatever they want. Right. It's un- unsafe to live there. It's unsafe to work there. But he said the people that, are, that know anything at all, if they can discover, because they listen to nothing, no policy, they know the government's lying, everything they say. But if they find out somebody is being censored, some point of view is being censored, then they get on it and start digging. Because they know if the government is censoring something, not letting it be said, they know it's true. They understand that over there. they got well, that much figured out. We haven't figured that out here yet. I, watch a, uh,
0: I watch a wonderful sh- program at, uh, nightly when I can just about every mm-hmm. night called China in Focus. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. It's an Epoch Times no. program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, I think at this point the Epoch Times is probably the most dependable, reliable newspaper in the world. Uh, Chinese, uh, obviously against the CCP, but they've got several different programs on top of their newspaper and all that stuff. This particular one that I got hooked into during COVID. Uh, and uh, it's called China in Focus, and it's about twenty to thirty minutes, and it's in- stories you'll you'll never see anywhere else. A lot of them from inside China with video and stuff on mm-hmm. the terrible conditions over there. But I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. I'm a part of the reason for this big push with Biden and everything that's going on mm-hmm. is because China is absolutely so close to bankruptcy; it's incredible. Okay, good. Trump, yeah, huh? Trump. And although they've benefited greatly from COVID for a number of reasons, it's really hurt them because a lot of the factories have left China, and they've moved to Vietnam and Thailand and, and in those areas. And actually, the Chinese are migrating, and they're, they're, they're having to cut the migration into those countries because so many people don't have work in China. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. But anyway, that that's another thing. China in Focus, you can go on YouTube and put it in there. It's a it's a, it's a very very good program. So, I got fired up uh with Steve and I thanked him for that this morning because it led over to what I've been trying to accomplish and I know the time is right now uh on getting this information out in some sort of a short readable form that tells the whole story and that's a challenge to get that thing in two pages, okay? And, oh, sure, and cover that much ground all right, and on that confusing a setup and everything else and 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 so i I sat down with steve 's inspiration on over the weekend or Monday, and knocked out a rough I think I knocked it out sunday, knocked out a rough, very rough outline of what i wanted to do a lot of typos a lot of misspellings bad grammar i'm Mm -hmm. not a great writer i do not like writing i like talking Mm -hmm. this is my Mm -hmm. forum writing isn't okay Mm -hmm. so uh i sent it out to a few people and and uh then i knew we were gonna have to polish it up it was rough and Mm -hmm. um and so uh i had a bit big week and little sleep and distractions and so i wasn't Uh able to start back on it till last night and I mm-hmm. started about six o'clock, and I literally worked all night on it. I've had no sleep—not one, not one secundo of sleep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why I say I'm running on fumes. But, well, I, um, but I'm reminded, I, Roger. Yeah, go ahead, Brent.
1: Of E.B. White. E.B. White is the author. Was the author of Charlotte's Web. Yeah, yeah. But he also wrote a regular piece for years for the New Yorker. And he, But when he, he went to school back right after World War I at Cornell and he studied journalism and, and uh, like old people that get out of college, you don't have time to learn how to write when you're in school. You just get introduced to a whole lot of things and disciplined to learn. That's really all college. College doesn't teach you. What you learn in college is not the important thing. The important thing you learn is you go to class every day, discipline yourself. Well, he got that. But then he went to work. I believe he was out in Seattle, if I remember right, as a, a cub reporter, just a kid working for a big newspaper out there. And he had an article he was supposed to write. He said about a, this fellow that had committed a string of felonies. And he was—he tried and he tried and he tried to make it decent. And he, of course, he knew the standard was high, and he knew he was young, didn't know what he was doing. And finally, he throwing stuff in the waste paper basket. Finally, the editor of the paper came to him and he said, what's the matter? He said, I just can't make it come out right. He said, look, writing is nothing but speaking. Writing is nothing but speaking. Put on paper. Just say the words that you want to say with your mouth and then write them down. He said that was the most stabbing and effective first principle of writing he ever got his whole life, Cornell and every place. Just say what you want to say with your mouth and whisper it and then write it
0: down. Well, Brent, that's the exact so, way I that, that I wrote. Yes. That's the exact way that I wrote my first book. Okay, yeah, and yeah. And the problem that I have with writing is that um, I'm too fastidious, and okay. and I'll write, and then I sit there and dwell. Well, could that be said better? Is it like this? And is that the you know? And I, man, I agonize over, it, and it drives me crazy. I can sit here and speak from the heart. It seems to always come out right, and it's my, no. it's my preferred platform. So yeah, anyway. You're, anyway.
1: Not, you're not too fastidious. You've got to be that fastidious to write because most all of us will write down. We think we've said something, and I'm quoting E.B. White. He said, most people, all of us, we write something down, and we think we've actually said something, but we haven't. And nobody understands what we've said, and if you don't hammer it, there's no such thing. And I just it took me a long time to figure this out. I Finally, I worked for a, a lawyer that had gone to Cornell. And uh, when I was in school and uh, he wanted me to rip apart everything he wrote. And I did. I did red ink. It was fun, you know, because he was smarter than me. I thought and more important than all. He was in federal cases in court, first amendment cases. And uh, I discovered watching him work because I was right with him for a long time. I discovered that these Ivy League guys, do you think that they can just sit down and whip stuff out? They can't. They're just like everybody else that... that they got to work at it really, really hard. Then they have to tear it apart. Then they have to have somebody else tear it apart. And that was my job. I could tear it apart. I just couldn't put it back together. That was his job.
4: Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I can
1: tear it apart. <laughs> well,
3: let yeah. me ins- let me insert something here. Uh, there was a playwright, English playwright, by the name of Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Uh-huh. Uh, back 18, 1860, late, late 1800s.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And he wrote a play called Cleo's Protest, C mm-hmm. C L I O, and one of the phrases in there mm-hmm. was, "You write with ease to show your breeding, mm-hmm. but easy writing's cursed hard reading." <laughs> and that goes around in my mind every uh-huh. time I sit down and begin writing, over and over. Uh-huh. I never, I never send so much as a a, a a grocery list without going over it four or five times. I uh-huh. just, yeah. I
0: can't do it. Yeah, some people, that's in some people's uh, physiology and mental makeup. Boy, it ain't in mine. Okay, but anyway, so it's torturous for me to write and do it. Although I, when I get into it, I'm I'm motivated. Okay, so I stay Robert? up all night last night. Um, and I've sent it out to a few people this morning. Um, I've sent it to I got you know uh, you know Brent. It's funny how God works. Okay, uh-huh. one of the reasons I feel is somebody trying to say something.
5: Yeah, Roger. I've had time to review the document this morning and. I think it's your, even though it's rough yet, I think it's your magnum opus.
0: Okay, well, thank you. I think the book was, but then Glenn edited it. (laughs) So anyway, I appreciate that, Samuel. Um, I've sent it out to a few key people this morning already. Uh, Mike Adams, who I was listening to his morning update this morning, and he gave me a line that I went back and put in the final version because it's just so apropos and fantastic. And he was brought up Harriet Tubman. And I start the piece with the Goethe quote. There are none so helplessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they're free. And Mm -hmm. I put this one right up underneath. It didn't even put a space in there, and it's a Harriet Tubman quote. Brenton, I don't know if you ever heard it or not.
1: Go ahead. She said,
0: I freed a thousand slaves, Mm -hmm. and I could have freed thousands more if they Uh only knew they were slaves. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, that
1: was that was the problem with the Israelites. You know, they liked it. Yeah, and they said so. We at least we had consistent. The food we had wasn't all that rich, but it was consistent. Leeks and onions. We ate that every day. We want to go back. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, so anyway, I banged this out, and I probably went through Harvey. Harvey's critique was I want to thank Katya and Jeff, particularly in the early stages. They gave me a, a starting point to start the polishing job. You know, it's kind of like polishing an opal. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. sit on the wheel and do a little at a time and see if the pretty stuff comes out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I got the process started. And as I went through, I probably went overboard a little bit with the high, with the bowls and the underlines and the capitalization, but there's nothing in there that isn't treated that way. That isn't a super important point, especially for somebody that's reading this for the first time. And I know what it is. You guys all know the first time you sit to this table, it's getting a, drink a water out of a fire hydrant okay Mm -hmm. all right so Mm -hmm. if it's it's in its form for now i'm not saying it can't be changed polished out more whatever but for right now it's going out and i'm going to tell you why because of what happened yesterday on wall street Mm -hmm. okay what's going to continue to happen because all the confusion and all the people that are waking up and all the crap they're doing you know how many in eight days you know how many executive orders orders biden's signed how many? Thirty-three. I guess that's an appropriate number, isn't it? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, so they're busy. Busy Beaver and Company are busy. Okay, and uh-huh. they, and they're they're making mistakes big time because they're really pressing the envelope. They got desperation behind them. I think it's the reset coming, and I think it's China potentially going under too. China, obviously, we heard all we heard for years was Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, they don't want to mention China because that's who they're using. Okay, I know how these guys work. All right, and Uh so anyway, I polished it out about I don't know four four thirty, and here's what happened. I did. I think it's finished. I'm getting a little tired. I took a melatonin. Okay, and so uh, which usually does pretty good with me. So I go in there and lay down. I can't sleep. And I'm laying there in bed, and I think of something I left out, or think, think of something I need to go highlight. And I get back up and go do that, and I, you know, save it again. Go back to sleep, think of try, you know, lay down, think of something else. Get it. Well, it ended up I was up all night, okay. And mm-hmm. uh, but I think I got it polished off to where we can get it out there. Now the sense of urgency is this, Brent. I think mm-hmm. you're going to relate to this. When I first started in this, first of all, I didn't know but one side of this, the tax side. And mm-hmm. secondly, uh we'd give a meeting every Wednesday where I would uh, where where I would present that on the tax side that I knew. I don't know if Brent did you ever attend any of those? No, huh. No, no, not you Brent. Brent Bachman. Oh, okay. Brent did, I don't know if you ever attended them or not. Brent would attend our meetings and Brent's easy to spot because he's about as big as the side of a house and he is <laughs> black. Okay, and just great. one hell of a good guy, and it, it, it enriches my life knowing him, okay? No, I never
2: got to go to any of the uh, tax things.
0: Okay, well, Jack did. Jack's not with us, but my old friend Jack down here was at every one of them, okay? But he never would sit down. He always stood up in the back of the room the whole damn three hours. Because okay. it would take really three quick. hours to go through that, and it would take three hours for me to get you enough background and legal understanding where I could go to the word non-resident alien in dash one eight and I could show you what it means. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's as far as I knew. All right. So anyway, uh, I'd give those things, and, and uh, I, I, so I've been doing this a long time. And I know that when you put it in front of people, that you, a lot of a lot of people most people are drink a water out of the fire hydrant. Some people like me, they're truth seekers, see that there's something a great substance there and move towards the flame but ordinarily, what I've found over many years and many stages of understanding and explaining this to people mm-hmm. what I've found is that the newer people that come are you know like they've been for fifteen or twenty years, they had a job, they had a house, they had a family, they got bills, and they're they're all right. Okay, They don't want to fight the city hall or the system particularly. And so they only come around when their ox gets gored. Either it's IRS or divorce or child custody or a driver's ticket or something, okay? And they wake up and start asking questions. They, then they come, okay? Well, the, re- the reason I say there's a sense of urgency here is because on the 20th, Everybody in the world's ox got gored simultaneously, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that are looking for answers.
1: Oh, the, the sales, to make that point, the sales of the Declaration of 76 and Constitution are up like they've never been before, according to Fox News.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that drove me to go ahead and get that thing in whatever form, get the typos and the spelling mistakes and try and get the right flow of it and the feel of it. And for right now, for me, I think I've accomplished that. And maybe Samuel's comment. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, the title of it. And we discussed this yesterday on the show. and, And I want to make a couple of points out of that. I want to thank. Um, I want to thank Samuel for bringing the title of the piece to my attention. We switched it around. I think it's much more effective, and mm-hmm. um, and and the whole team effort kind of has gone into writing this because it's not just me; it's all of us. Okay, mm-hmm. and the reason I say that is because I consider us a team. Okay. That's what I've really conscientiously tried to build here is an open forum where people can get addressed with no commercial breaks, So we don't have to interrupt flow of concepts and ideas and try and get folks educated and up to speed as quick as possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's been my motivation. And, uh, I think, I think we're there now. we got a good bunch of foot soldiers. And I say that about the team aspect that I've consciously tried to build here, subconsciously and consciously, is because teams always accomplish more than individuals. What does? Teams.
1: Oh, yes, yes.
0: Okay. Many hands make light work kind of thing. So what I've done, and I'm going to tell you really exciting i and didn't even know it, and i was this is what I was going to say a minute ago, Brent when i said it's- it's unbelievable how God works okay got a got a dear old friend we talk occasionally uh over he's the longest friendship I've got in my adult life, okay we go back born thirty years a couple years longer than you and me Harv. and uh so he calls me he works up in North Carolina. And he calls me the other day, Wednesday. I was eating lunch. I said, Steve, I'll call you back. So I finally got around to calling him back. And then uh, I called him again yesterday because he's off working, and and he doesn't have to worry about talking with his wife around is the real reason. Uh, But regardless of that – Steve's telling me about an old girlfriend that he used to have, and I remember when she started, and she got him in a lot of trouble with illicit substances. And, uh, but uh, he's kept in touch with her, and this is an interesting gal. She's evidently, I've never met her, very attractive, real chatty. And uh, she did a few years in, uh, in the slam. And when she got out, she uh, had uh, gotten religion, and she started a organization in Georgia to help females that are coming out of jail readjust to the society. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she, they, it's gotten the attention of Georgia. She's met with Georgia uh, state officials. They want to incorporate it in the whole state. It's very successful, mm-hmm. evidently. And she was up at some kind of a meeting in D.C. On this, on this, somehow she was involved. I don't remember the specifics, but the guy, one of the guys at the meeting was Mike Lindell. Okay. My pillow. And she goes up being chatty and introduces herself. They get into a conversation. She's evidently quite attractive, not not, eat, not hard to look at while you're talking. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, she tells him about her, what she's got going on in Georgia and what she's doing, and he gets real interested. And so they have a bond, make a bond, and she's got a direct wire into him. Mm-hmm. And so I call Steve. Steve, I'm, this is coming. Get it to Pam. She's married to a preacher now, so and she's kind of like-minded like we are. He, he, I'm told, isn't as much, but that paper's pretty hard hidden, hidden okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe it's on the way to Mike Lindell. And my friend, let me tell you about my friend, Steve. When I first got started in this, he had done a little bit of time courtesy of the penal system too. And he got out and I was just learning this. And so he got he got real motivated. He didn't even have a computer. He went over to his cousins and, and got on her Mac and wrote out and this is kinda of why this is formatted this way, in all honesty. He mm-hmm. he banged he banged out a front and back bullet point thing on the New World Order Rothschilds and all this stuff just bullet points front and page and it was first eight and a half and then it grew to eleven and a half and so he then moved to Charlotte and uh, what he would do on his Saturdays was he'd go to the Charlotte Library this is before internet okay he'd go to the Charlotte Library you know how in the library they got all those uh, phone books from different cities. Mm -hmm. And what he'd do is he'd go to the city and he'd open it up and he'd go to the yellow pages and he'd look under gun shops. And every gun shop was there. He'd have a little note and say, make copies of this and hand it out to your customers. And he'd send them a master copy of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he did that religiously for a while. And so one night I'm listening to Bill Cooper. Remember Bill Cooper? Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. well, I used to listen to him religiously, all those Tom Ballantyne and Pastor Pete and the whole lineup you know, and so, no matter what the reception was, I was listening because I wasn't interested in fidelity, I'm interested in content,-,
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay, and so one night, I'm listening to Bill Cooper, and he takes calls occasionally, and this guy calls in from I think he was from Asheville, and he goes. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm listening tonight is I was by the gun store today, and I picked up this document called Paul Revere Rides Again. And he had a listing of shows people could listen to. And so there's no telling how many people got turned on 30 years ago from my friend Steve's efforts. Mm -hmm. And that inspires me. So that's our connection, and I kind of took the success he'd had with that, and I patterned this after that. Okay? It's uh, exactly two pages, and I had to mess with fonts and formats and everything else to get that in two pages and get the information in there. All right? Mm-hmm. But it's two pages so that anybody wants to say they have a business. Say, say Daryl, it's the gun shop in your town there that you like to frequent. You can drop that there and say, look, make copies, put them on the counter, and give them to everybody that comes in here. Huh? Okay? Yeah. So – that's what you it never is. know when you
1: say something, Roger. I'm reminded of that story of history. It was the general officer of the armies of Syria. The general officer of the armies of Syria. He had a high position. He had a lot of money. And, and then the Bible is telling this story, how great he was. And then it says, comma, and he was a leper. Yeah, leprosy. Yeah. And his armies had invaded Israel, and they'd come back with the plunder of slaves. And there was a young Israelite girl working in his house as a housemaid. And she knew he had leprosy and how terrible it was. And she was walking through one of the rooms, and she heard him talking about it to his wife, I believe it was. And she just said in passing as she walked through the room, she said, "Well, I know a fellow down in Israel that that could take care of that. And she was speaking of a prophet. And the rest of the story is about how he made this journey to Israel because of what this little girl said in passing, just teenage girl, you know, 14 years old or something, as she walked through the room. So what we say is important. And that's why the Bible says that we will answer for every idle word, every idle down word. So we should be careful to maintain order, as we were saying in the beginning, and weigh our words and speak clearly and speak to the point and make our oaths and our vows particular, as Jesus Christ said. And Be careful what we say. Say things that are worthwhile. But just like that girl, she didn't have a high position. She was a slave and she just made a comment walking through the room. And it changed the life of the most powerful man in Syria. Well, that's what that's what he calls us to do. And so these things that you're saying, of course, some of us, sometimes we work hard on our words like you're doing. I just went through your document uh, before we got on. And c- first thing I did was corrected the spelling because it comes up on my computer in red, you know, if you have a misspelled word.
0: Wow. Well, I ran it through spell checker, I thought, but there may be some typos <laughs> in there, you know, it, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. at four thirty in the morning when you hadn't had any sleep, you're not really too sharp.
1: Oh, no. I mean, and I i could tell the stuff like you'd hit, you just hit a wrong key and put an E for an A, like determination, yeah. Yeah. I think was one of the words.
0: Well, you know, I got a problem in a sense Favorite. is that my yeah, father, yeah. my father, God rest his soul. And I thank I thanked him for this for so many times for so many years mm-hmm. when we were in Alaska, they had typing in the ninth grade and he mm-hmm. made me take typing and boy, I didn't mm-hmm. want to. And I don't know why, because that's where all the girls were. Okay. Yes, so right. <laughs> anyway, I could type 65 words a minute Was when I was in the ninth grade. And then I wow. didn't type for years, okay, uh-huh. until computers came along. And the funniest thing happened. All my friends that were all these computer nerds, and, oh, it's a 286. Oh, the 386 is out. Oh, the 486, i got to have one. And they're spending all this huge money to buy all these faster computers, and all they can do is type with one finger.
1: Yeah, yeah. I okay. know what you're saying. That's me. So I
0: I tell you, I told my mother after I got my first computer, I called her and said, let me tell you what, boy, do I thank dad?
1: Yeah. And see, Roger, to make the point even stronger, when I was a teenager in in high school, we had a fellow working for us. Another teenager was older than me, old Bob Glenn, and he got drafted. And they, of course, sent him to training and shipped him off to Southeast Asia. And he wrote home and said he was in a group of young fellows that just got there, and and they said anybody here know how to type? He said he didn't know how to type, but just a little bit. And he raised his hand. Well, they took him out right then. They put him in a behind a typewriter in an office in Saigon. And my mother read the letter, and she said, Brent, I think you. Should should take typing, <laughs> she, thought, you know, she thought she'd save my life. You know how mothers are. Well, I didn't want to take typing, I was like you. That typing was for sissies. The only people that took typing where I went to school were the girls that wanted to learn to be secretaries. You know, the guys didn't take typing. Matter of fact, there was a typewriter on the wall in the typing room in that little high school from 1927 typewriter with a great big trophy behind it. And on that typewriter, one of the girls there in that high school back in 1927 took the train to New York city, competed in the world championship of speed typing and won. Damn. I can't remember how many words it was. It used to be written right on the, I should remember that, but yeah, the typing was a big thing, but it was a girl thing back yeah, then. And, sure and so my mother, not knowing why, or she was saying do this because I don't want you to have to get shot and go to Southeast Asia. So, but her motivation was different, but it shows me. And now as I get older, she didn't know the future, but if I'd have done what my mother said, I'd be a lot better off now. Here I am trying to write book with two fingers.
0: <laughs> well, now listen. And Here, I'm going to give you yeah. a temp, Brent. There's some yeah. typing programs out there that will teach yeah. you how to type, and if you'll yeah. just spend 10 minutes, they're, they're, they're like games, you know, where okay. a letter comes down and you hit yeah. the letter, yeah. like Space Invaders or something. They're oh, fun. One, yeah.
3: of them, one of them is called Type Racer, T-Y-P-E-R-A-C-E-R and okay. it is a delightful program it will teach you touch typing and it will increase your speed dramatically and i have routinely typed 60 65 words a minute for a long time now and
1: t y p e r a
3: c e r t y p e type yeah racer r a c e r and okay. they'll put you, they'll put you in little races with people who are in your approximate skill zone. Oh, okay. And uh, that's but 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 it'll also teach you know it's, it's a freebie out there on the web and it's a delightful little site and I go to it every once in a while to get my uh, I get into bad habits mm-hmm. and I go back to that to get my get my skills uh, honed. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great. Now, well, when yeah, I'm I
1: don't try to do that.
5: And
3: when now. I was in high school. I wanted to take typing and I told my father, I wanted to take typing. He said, no, son, you're not taking typing. Oh, no. he said, you're going to take, you're going to take an academic subject. He said, if you want to learn how to type, get a book, learn how to oh, type. That's oh, the way okay. I did it. Yeah. Okay. So, so when I got sick, uh, with a flu or something, one time mm-hmm. I asked my mother, she'd go up to Miller's bookstore and get me a book on typing, which she did. And mm-hmm. I sat there for three or four days in my bedroom. Uh-huh. And I learned to touch type. Okay,
0: um, it, and, Brent, if you'll just spend a couple of minutes a morning on it, and it's kind yeah, of fun, yeah. you won't believe how quickly your typing skills will improve.
1: Okay. Just being consistent every yeah. day is what yep. I hear yep. you say. Yep. It. Doesn't have yep. to be
0: a long time; just a short time. Yep. So let me yep. forge yeah, on before we run out of time here. Okay. Yep. Um, so um, I have sent it. I've sent it this morning to Deanna Spingola. She's already booked me on her program on the 6th. Now, I was on Deanna's several times, two or three times, going over this stuff, and I knew every time we closed the microphone that she didn't understand. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think she's going to get it this time. All right? Uh, I sent it to Mike Adams this morning to his Proton Mail. I sent it to uh-huh. Alex Jones somewhat reluctantly. Uh, I've got the. The feeler going to Mike Lindell, if we can get to him, and I'm pretty sure we're going to, it's going to hit everybody at the higher echelons, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I've sent it out on our forum, and I've sent it out to a few selected people. Harvey, Samuel mentioned it a minute ago. Daryl's read it. Um, and so, but this is the game plan that I'm kind of laying out in my mind. I was trying to wait to get to Linwood or Sidney Powell. Okay, mm-hmm. And those guys are so busy, I, I just don't know if the, the way I had to contact them that we could get to them, A, and if B, you could get it across. Okay, So uh, oh. so that uh, spurned me to just say, well, let's put it out there, all right? Um, one of the things that I'm trying to do, and I yanked on our good friend Murr's chain, because she's very mm-hmm. good on the computer with search and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, could you take a little bit of the load off me? And I gave her six programs to get contact addresses for her. Uh, okay. True News, uh, James Corbett, SGT Report, Dr. Dave Janda, and maybe another one. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can get to Catherine Austin Fitz through Daryl. He's a subscriber to Solary. And what I'd like to do is to lay out a plan, and we'll get those addresses, and we'll put them out, and I'm going to ask everybody out there like I did yesterday. I've never asked you guys to do anything. Please send them an email after I give them the goods. Third-party endorsements are always better, every time, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to cover the key people. And we're going to see if we can get this out there and in front of people simplistically enough to see if we can flood the Secretary of State with these things. Now, even better, if you could get Sidney and maybe Rudy Giuliani and Lynn Wood to go around their circles, they'll be able to explain it quick. I think a lot of people are going to pick up on it quick. They know something's wrong. They just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we could get those three, let's say that they could get Let's just say a low number, 15,000, mm-hmm. okay? And they and, and we've learned on the State Department document that Citizens for Non, uh, that Certificate of Non-Citizen Nationality, you can do it in one sentence. Brent, you can mm-hmm. do it in one sentence, and they give you the sentence at the bottom of the page. And it is I blank, do solemnly swear. Of course, it's notarized. Under penalty of perjury, you use the without jurat. United States of America uh-huh. and the, and it said I so and so duly swear I I want to change from a to a US national from a citizen of the United States that's the uh-huh. sentence they've got in their document okay uh-huh. So it doesn't take a bunch of law. You don't have to be citing stuff. There's other stuff you can put in there. I've got some suggestions people could if they want to. You know, our people like to add stuff on. You know, they've been studying. They've been studying for years, and they know all this legal lingo, and by gosh, they're going to use it.
1: Okay? Well, to make your point, Roger, about simplicity, boiling it down to where the, the hog can eat it, well, I had somebody contact me here before the inauguration, of some lawyer, a group of lawyers, and they said, would you write a letter to President Trump? I said, well, what makes you think it's going to get to him? He said, well, we think we can get it to General Flynn. I said, what do you want me to say? Well, we want you to encourage him that he has authority to do certain things, and he's not using that authority as a matter of law. I said, well... Do you guys could say no we don't want to do it i said well why don't you want to do it well we're trying to find other people to do it not only you but others we think we can get this in front of general flynn they said general flynn's not a lawyer donald trump's not a lawyer but they, we think they they've got lawyers around them that are mis misadvising him they do and they're, you know, a lot of fancy stuff but they said what well, i said well I'd, I'd need to do the research they said no no we don't want you to do research we just want you to say what you know and uh they're not going to read the research anyway. They aren't lawyers. Just make it simple. We don't want you to say any more than one page. and uh, But you can say what you want. And, and so I ended up doing that. I don't know if it ever got to him that was before that. Uh, and then he said, would you back this up with uh, research? I said, yeah, if you wanted me to. But I said, I know, some, I know these things are true. They're just principles. Make it simple. They don't, you know, there's a lawyer out there. What's his name? He's written a lot on militia. He's a his 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 sister is a famous uh, news babe, or was for years. Uh, I've talked to him on the phone. Uh, 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 Edwin Vieira. Edwin oh, Vieira. Edwin. Vieira. No, Earth. he's good. Yeah, he's yeah.
0: he's got a pedigree yeah. about an arm long.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and that's the problem. He's a, he's a Harvard man all the way, and when he writes something, he's he punctuates it with so much legal authority that. Uh, it's overwhelming. Nobody is going to read it. Now, I'm glad that there's people like that out there, like him, that have that under their... And I've got his books, you know, and they're well-documented and all, but there comes a time, you know, when you're arguing to the jury, you don't you don't give them all that. You're arguing to the jury. They they don't care about the law. They just care about it. somebody did something wrong, and we know we think we can figure out who it is, and we, we know right from wrong. We don't need the law. And most Americans, almost... And even people who are lawyers think that way. Judges think that way they look at something they say that don't look right forget the law that don't look right You ain't law back this up and I, I i i clerked for an appellate judge when i was younger and uh he'd give me something and he'd say uh well i looked at this and uh here's the right of it and here's the wrong of it i want you to see if you can support it for me because he was an old fellow he was, i remember he was uh, he was shot he got shot by a sniper in the foot you know these snipers have fun doing stuff like that they don't just kill people they want to maim them and he was uh he he came ashore d-day plus three he said and uh just a buck private soldier and he was walking and uh the sniper had it all figured out he dropped the officer that was walking in front of him and then he shot him in the foot well he was crippled the rest of his life he ended up being a lawyer and then he became a judge but he'd just look at something and he'd say, that stinks. Or he'd say, here's, the, here's what ought to be done in this situation. And then if I couldn't support it in the law, well, that'd be the end of that. But the law needed to be changed. But that's the way it is with all of us. And so I say, right, Roger, with your situation, you're just pointing out what's right and wrong. And you don't need to back it up with too much well, uh, because you're going to lose people. And from what you're doing right. now, the more you can boil it down the better it's going to
0: be. I don't know if I can boil it down anymore and cover as much ground as it does. Maybe can, I I shouldn't say no. Maybe some of you word wizards can help me, but it is what it is right now. Now I'm going to ask you, Brent, since you opened that can of worms, will you please forward this to your group of lawyers and anybody else under the sun that you can think of? Okay.
1: I don't hang around lawyers, Roger. Don't know that. <laughs> you think I'm joking? No, I'm <laughs> but so, I do have I do have some like minded patriot friends.
0: Well, it doesn't even have They're to be. Now. You know, now in the situation, that's just it. It doesn't have to be like minded. There's people that weren't aren't like minded that are asking questions now. Do you know that Trump's ratings have gone up nine percent? Well, that's good. The first but of Roger.
1: January? I well, I might disagree with you. If they're if they're asking questions, then they're probably persuadable, and that means they're like minded. They just don't know it yet. Yeah, right.
0: right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I didn't you, know you it. Know I just I, and I think a lot of those people are like I was. They know something's wrong. I'd known it since I was a teenager, and in college, I just didn't know what it was. I'd looked for it. I'd yelled at the TV. I'd bought into the left right paradigm and all that stuff, and then I crossed paths with John and Glenn. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: In the six months they mm -hmm. were teaching, Mm -hmm. I was one of 1,200 students they had all across the country, some real illustrious ones. You ever hear of a California senator? He's probably no longer with us, named Don Rogers.
1: What'd he do, Roger? Yeah, what'd he do?
0: Well, he's a real famous senator out there, very constitutional-minded. He was one of John and Glenn's students. He went through the seminars. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, that's where we stand at this moment. I'm going to ask everybody, you know, many I've got hands. I've something for you. Hold on, hold on, Chris, if you could, for just a second. I'll recognize you. You know it. Many hands make light work, okay? And I think we need to take this with a blitzkrieg, type approach and get it out in front of as many people in every absolute forum as we can get it onto. If you still got a Facebook account or a Twitter book account, stick it up there. See how long it lasts. Okay. Um, But let's take advantage of everything we've got. And the reason why is the more people we can see this, let me tell you what, I know what these guys think of this. I've seen it for, you know, 12 years now. It's the only thing I've ever seen. When you send that affidavit in, they stand mute. They don't deny. They got this little bluff letter scam they try, but it's easily overcomable. And the bottom line is they don't have the power to say no because it's your choice, not theirs. If it was their choice, they'd have made you surf a long time ago and and had been exerting their power. They didn't do that. They went through this really contrived, torturous way to get those questions, are you a citizen of the United States, are you a resident, For where you'll answer yes. And I've asked on here numerous times, and this has only come to me recently, Brent, really, within the last six, eight months. Mm-hmm. At all the times you've ever been asked that in your adult life, anybody on here is welcome to chime in. Have you ever answer, answered anything but yes? One time. Crickets. Okay. So my plan is, and I sure hope you all want to look, you know, as John used to say, the only only way I can protect my liberty is to help you protect yours. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if we can all do a little heavy lifting here and let's get a blitzkrieg out there, these guys are scared to death of this. Mm-hmm. That's why they, w- they won't touch me with a 10-foot pole, and they've known what it was since I did the very first radio shows because one of the the snitch from the Southern Poverty Law Center that monitored RBN started contacting hosts and writing them letters and calling into to shows. He even went so far. His name's Russell Estes. He's in, probably in Minneapolis. Uh, Jew kid, works for SPLC, I found out, through one of their publications that – uh, one of our, one of my good students had, and we were talking. He said, "I got one of those. I picked it up in the cop station the other day." And mm-hmm. I said, "We'll go get it. Do you have it?" Yeah. Goes off mm-hmm. and gets it and opens the front page. I see, "Do you see anybody there named Russ?" And he goes, "Yeah, right here, editor Russell Estes." Anybody else mm-hmm. on the list, Russ? No, it's got to be him. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I got on the air and called his little Jew bud out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what his message was, and they got to Joyce. They had other people that got to Joyce, to uh, a, a a guy and a girl team. I can't remember his name. He was, did an SGT report. Uh, Sean had him on a couple of months ago. I can't remember the jerk's name. He's a converted Jew. Okay, has a gentile name, but him and his girlfriend both called Joyce, and they all said the same thing. Even Russell Estes from the start. And they mm-hmm. said that stuff Roger Sales is teaching is going to get a lot of people in trouble. Mm-hmm. And when that's, I got his name, I said, "Hey, Russell Estes from Minneapolis, it is going to get a lot of people in trouble, and you better be terrified." Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, that's uh, that's kind of the background on that. So they've known about it for a long time. Well, after the book come out has come out, man, they're mum. I could call them dirty kikes. Uh, every day, all, all two hours long, and they'll never put me in a hate list of the ADL or the SPLC because they don't want to drop, well, what's this guy saying? And a bunch of people go over and look and go, yikes. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're mum, and that's why this silences them. Okay. And they're scared to death of it. Now, as we covered earlier, they lost $12 billion yesterday. Stock market ain't going to get any easier for them. Okay. Mm hmm. They're distracted. They're distracted with Biden. They're distracted by the blowback. They're wanting to get every white Christian that they can get and to hang them with domestic terrorism labels so they can go after them. All that stuff. If we can coordinate this and get some kind of, of momentum with it, it's going to catch them like on the left side of the head with a brick bat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's my feeling that if we can accomplish that, it may be the final straw that drops them to their knees because look at it they lose all their control over everybody except for two sections of the IRS code bonds and expatriation okay everything else all the everything else they're shed and now they can't come charge you with that including domestic terrorism or any other of these things they can cook up so they're neutered okay and I think then when you really start understanding, this is just a bullet point to get people's attention, all the contact information's on there, how to get on this show, how to reach me, how to get questions answered. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, man, if we can pull it off, I think it might just be Obadiah Day. Now, if I, when I get a few of these people educated and they get, Cast the confusion, get their arms around it, get a little self-confidence, and the the empowering process starts. Well, let's see. How how many 80 million people voted for Trump? He's gone up 9% again, so that's almost 90 million people that I think are favorable, probably more than that, okay? What do you think if state got 20 million of these and then the IRS got 20 million notices, yeah I don't know what they'd do Roger well, I can tell you what they'd do the whole thing would fall because it's that income tax that pays the bondholders and the reason yeah. they got this impetus is because their financial system's falling apart it broke in 2008 and all they've done is covered up and covered up now summer before last was when the when the system broke I don't know if you don't keep up with this stuff, Brent, I know, but you, I'm sure you heard about it. They were having to put $100 to $150 billion a night into the repo market. Do you know what the repo market is?
1: Well, I assume that's repossession. Though. No,
0: no. It, the repo no. market is the overnight market where banks borrow from other banks to cover their lending reserve requirements. Oh. So if they don't have enough cash and they're on a 10-to-1 reserve requirement and they're short, they got to have that cash overnight, so they borrow it from a fellow bank at a low interest, usually 1-2%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, summer before last, good Lord, I can't believe this over already. Summer before last... They were having to put all that money into the banks because the overnight rate had soared to 10% or more. The other bankers wouldn't lend other banks overnight money for less than 10%. Mm-hmm. It was broken. It broke a year and a half ago. All they've done now is try and cover up. They got a reset coming. They had to get Biden in there to try and get things on their side to cover up this pending bankruptcy of China. And since so they can move forward and try and salvage something out of this, and they've overplayed their hand just like they always do. Okay. That's our advantage. That's our situation the way I see it. Okay. Okay. Now, let me quick, before we get off, anybody that wants a copy of this, send me an email at RadioRanch at M A I L M-A-I-L.com, in the subject line, put Matrix, and I'll shoot you the thing back, and let's see how far and fast we can get it spread. So, any any problem? We don't have any We can hang around after we're off here, but... Uh, But that's about we've eaten up our time today. I think I got most of the stuff covered. We'll see how it develops over the weekend. And uh, I think we got a winner here, boys. I feel it in my heart of hearts. So CommonLawyer.com is how you get more of that rascal Brent Winters. And I hope you frequent him. He's got a Sunday church. Used to have a Saturday law school. Don't know if that's still going on. But we're happy to have you every Friday, Brent, and I'm sure damn glad you're on.